Kyle, that was a pretty good time doing that first interview. What did you think? thought it was awesome. I thought the stories were really solid and got a lot out of them, and I hope the listeners do too. So Kyle, tell our listeners what they can expect from our guest, David Sachs. Yeah, so in this interview, we dive into the life of David Sachs, a 20-year-old senior at the University of Alabama, whose life can easily be summed up, I think, in one short sentence, and that is always find a way. Listen as he walks us through his different projects, turning nothing into something in many different ways. From winning a stock market competition in high school, to creating and growing a fraternity at the country's largest Greek life university, to the building of his first of presumably many businesses, the Bagel Stop, David lives out the idea of getting around no, taking action on getting to his goals, and always finding a way. I think that about covers what we talk about. It's a great interview, and let's cut to it now. Today, Kyle and I are joined by my good friend, David Sachs. Funny story about David, he's the first person I met at college because he called me in the summer before my freshman year to rush a fraternity, so technically the first person I met. We can get into more about David starting the fraternity later on. We asked David to be on the show because of his uncommon bias towards action and leadership skills. He's a huge soccer fan, that's just a fun point. He's 21 years old and has already tackled a couple of major life experiences, starting a business, starting a large organization, passing it over to the next set of leadership. So with that, we're gonna ask him about his life and any kind of insights he has into those things. So David, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me guys, first. So we're going to start chronological here, just kind of stuff before college, anything from your childhood or high school. We're sharing, I know your dad's an entrepreneur. He runs a couple of restaurants and some other businesses. Can you talk about how growing up with him being an entrepreneur influenced yourself? Yeah. So really before I was even born, you know, he uh, was, he went to the army. They have their mandatory military service and they are, you know, they, they're, they're told to do some area of study and he chose accounting. Okay. Um, so he was he was an auditing accountant in the military, and then out of the military, he decided to create restaurants. So in South Africa, the famous restaurant they had was called Chianti. Um, it was like a late night type of bar, a little bit upscale. They would have comedians and musicians and you know, upscale food. They had you know steak cooking on the rock, those type of things. And in 1993, he moved over. Um, from South Africa here and started another business or continued on another business called Goldberg's Bagels um, in Atlanta. And so really it kind of runs in the family, you know, entrepreneurs are thinking in a different way because he's always someone who tells me, don't accept the answer. Question why you're being told the answer. So it, it's kind of really carried over. And I, I, you know, I've worked in the business since I was seven and then carrying on from then into college, you know, picking up different interests, but still carrying on the, the idea of wanting to start something myself, you know, started the bagel truck. And then, you know, just a little bit before that, you know, started the fraternity in a, in a way that, you know, really helped me further my personal, you know, just my personal life and help me create a better path forward for my uh, professional life. Yeah. What kind of stuff were you doing in the restaurants when you're seven? Were you like waiting tables or doing stuff in the back office? Or? Everything, everything. I started doing dishwasher. I was a dishwasher, you know, from that up, creating, you know, um, made the bagels, boiled them, made sandwiches, was a waiter, all the way up to assistant manager to manager um, to really understand the, operations of a restaurant and a business in general. 
Yeah. So you could do any any job that anybody asks you to in a restaurant, specifically a bagel restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Any restaurant, and uh, you know, put me in in a restaurant today, and I can point out you know five, ten different issues that they're having. That's an interesting hard skill to have. Like, you know, you, you go to college to to get a hard skill in my opinion, like accounting is one and computer science is another, but being able to walk into any restaurant and, and add value is something that, you know, most people don't have. So it's a unique experience. Yeah, I think the restaurant industry is one of the most difficult industries to be in. It's such a complex, you know, it changes every single day. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, people's preferences changes change every day people have uh, different tastes, different fads, and it's quicker than anything like fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and yeah, also the, the, ad- the advent of Yelp, you know, cause before Yelp we had food critics and food critics would come in and write a mm-hmm. two page um, article in the, in the food magazine about your restaurant. But now with the advent of Yelp, everyone's a food critic. Yeah. yeah. You get one or two bad, bad reviews. I know I've gotten yeah, know, a few bad reviews. We can talk about some of those with the truck. You've yeah. a few bad reviews. <laughs> so this um, uh, logo right here is actually my girlfriend's family's distillery. And they started it this past okay. year. Okay. Yeah, my hat. And one interesting thing that I've noticed is like how bad, bad press like expands on itself, especially in like communities like Reddit. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you'd be hard pressed to find, you know, good information about Dread River, the company on reddit because like it's more likely that they get bad press on reddit because of the bad press that's already been on there in the past sure so sure how it compounds but yeah no, yeah absolutely and i think for uh, especially business owners that just started one of the biggest things is you just have to be numb to those reviews i mean mm-hmm. you're always going to get bad reviews no one's going to always like your stuff yeah. but the continuity of it is really what makes if it's self-fulfilling and it doesn't fulfill like you know another customer they don't like it but majority of people say it's very good like you can't let the bad outweigh the good yeah yeah i think that can extend to a lot of things uh yeah so next question so i know you talked a lot about you know your dad has been entrepreneur started restaurants you have any other role models as a kid people Uh, i I think both of my both of my parents Mm -hmm. um both of them started businesses Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom started she started a event planning business she's one of the biggest planners in atlanta weddings bar mitzvahs parties any of that stuff and so really it's it comes from both sides so yeah. both my mom and my dad have the entrepreneurial spirit and are both my role models um in that sense um so it, it's it, it's been a good house grow, growing up you know yeah it sounds like a great environment for cultivating like the spirit of you can do it, you should do it. Go yeah, for absolutely. it. Ask us questions if you need it. That's great. Uh, a little bit in high school now. The story about, I know you're very into investing, and we might talk about that at the end because that's kind of your next step potentially with your career, at least for the short term or however long. Can you tell us a little bit how you got into investing and that little story? Yeah, so never really cared too much about investing, stock market, that type of stuff. It really wasn't on my radar, but in, I don't know how old I am. It's 21. So, I'm, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> when I was a sophomore in, college, in, in high school, we had this stock market investing game. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, this is something kind of interesting. So it was 250 kids in like my 
Braid, mm-hmm. um, who, were, who was doing econ that semester. And we decided to do, you know, it was you know, on Market Watch. It was a stock market simulator. Everyone got a million dollar, a million virtual dollars. Um, and they were like, all right, you know, the winner at the end of the semester will get, I don't even know. It wasn't even a prize. It was just like, oh, you'll get an A on your project. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. So whatever. So I started out, I guess there's kind of a trend in how I do things. So I started out and I was like, I don't really care. Like, I'm just going to do what I uh, just put something in and not really pay attention. But then I really got fixated on it. I don't know what, what caused it, but I ended up going from a um, million virtual dollars to 12 billion virtual dollars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like with a real mark, like a real, with, yeah, with real, real market. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everything, yeah, yeah. It, 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 I traded along the, the real market. Um, like if you would have done it with a million real dollars, it would have turned into 12 billion dollars. Yeah, real yeah. Dollars. And it was all legitimate. Um, <laughs> It was very, it was crazy. I'll tell you how I do it. So what, what happened was um, there's one famous, famous stock at the time. It was like 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Plug Power. It's a hydrogen fuel cell company that provides um, fuel cell, hydrogen fuel cell engines for, um, you know, like the UPS trucks and okay. their cargo, before, like smaller cargo mm-hmm. handles all the packages. They're trying to go into cars now, but it's a little bit, Whatever. It's just a little bit different than, than batteries. Mm-hmm. But at the time, they were trading at about $2.30 a share. Okay. Um, and just before then, they've been talking about maybe getting into deals with Walmart, UPS, Albertsons. And so I was like, okay, maybe let me just try. So I put like 500000 like half of my <laughs> money into it. <laughs> it's like, screw this. Let me do it. Right, diversified. And then I started in my off time, even like on Saturdays and Sundays, I was doing research about how the market got, like just the fundamentals, mm-hmm. how the market works, how you can trade, like the different areas of how you can actually trade and do stuff. And realized on the game, you couldn't buy options, but you can do buying and short selling. Okay. So what I did was, and at the end with the 12 billion, 12 billion virtual dollars, I had 10 and a half or 10,000 trades because it tallied up how many trades you had. So yeah. this was in three what? months, right? So <laughs> 10,000, that's 3,000 trades a month at least. So that was your full time job for three months. Oh, it was. I would, what was I would second listen. place? Who is in second place? Second place was uh, like 10 million. <laughs> it, I mean, 10x, 10x isn't bad over three months. 10x Did they like great, announce but... it or something like at the at a pep rally? Like David said, no, they didn't. They didn't announce it, but you were a minor celebrity a little bit, right? Oh, minor celebrity. Yeah, people came up to me. I, I remember this is like the highlight of my career because I was a very shy kid in high school. I didn't talk to anyone, so I would I was logging to my computer. You know, like the you know you have your high school login. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was logging to my computer and someone saw and they're like, wait, are you David Sachs? I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, you're the guy that hacked the stock game. I'm like, I didn't hack the stock game. <laughs> 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 so then, uh, it kept, you know, people would come to me like, what should I do? What should I do? I'm like, I, don't, I can't tell you what to do. Yeah, I, don't, I don't give, I don't give advice. I, sorry. I don't <laughs> give advice for free. So I don't give free <laughs> advice. So that's what I was about. Yeah. <laughs> So, so I would trade, I would, I would see the patterns of the charts 
-hmm. and see how it would trade. You know, let's say it would go from two two thirty to two forty. So I'd buy the ten cent up, and it would drop five cents. So I'd short sell the five cent down, and just literally trade it all the way up. And somehow, that was the company that went from two dollars a share to eleven dollars a share. In I think it was a span of like two or three weeks. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. It, was, it just got like huge really quickly this right time yeah and then uh, i was kind of and then it's just you know i traded it all the way up and that got me to (laughs) that got me to uh 13 or 12 billion dollars i i did other i mean that was the main highlight of it but i did other trades like i had stuff in the background that was kind Uh of sitting what'd your economics professor say (laughs) she was like she didn't really care actually she didn't really care she was like okay like that's cool but everyone else was like who the is this kid and what is he doing i would list i would sit in class and listen to earnings calls that's hilarious like with my ipad right here and the teacher's (laughs) like david put that down i'm like no i got something to do i'm winning a game over here (laughs) let me win the game yeah. And since then, you've well, I wonder. Started I wonder how that math works with a hundred dollars. If you, if you use a hundred dollars of your own money and just started trading it that way, I don't know if you could do it the same same way. I, the like, problem is that now there's there's for being a patent day trader, you have to have a minimum amount of equity, which is twenty five grand. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, I've done like a little bit of trading recently. Mm-hmm. Um, that got me about in two days. I made like twenty percent, which is I mean, pretty, pretty good on a. Small yeah, it's just pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it's not twelve billion, but it's <laughs> <laughs> that's a great that's story. Funny. So yeah. it's awesome. Well, I think let's shift gears here for a second. Talk about a different aspect of what you've been up to, kind of more social leadership side of things, not just the uh, the guy at the computer listening to earnings calls. Uh, which sure. there's a place for that too, obviously. But how we met through AEPI. I was at this desk at some point summer of 2017 i guess and you sent me a text like hey you're jewish i found you on facebook you're going to the school join my fraternity and i'm like whoa okay tell us about starting the fraternity how, how you do start- you go from shy guy to that i think yeah no, get it go go for it yeah so that's like a very like i said before started like kind of with the there's a lot of trends that you can see with people and in different things but um I started, you know, I got the call, I got the like Facebook message about starting AUPI and I was like, you know, cause I, I, I came to college and I got recruited by like two fraternities mm-hmm. and I, was, I didn't go to any of their events. I didn't really care. I didn't even reply to them. I just was like, you know, and I hate fraternities. Screw that. Like, yeah, it's exactly. not, not the life that no, I want to be in. Chad or Brad. Uh-uh, no Chad's or Brad's, no. uh, which is my, bro- my, my brother's name is Brad, but um, I didn't want to be like that. And so I got the, the text and, and it was like, Hey, David, you're perfectly recommended for this class. And I'm like, whatever. It's a, it's a cold call to message, whatever. Yes, um, but then I looked up API and I was like, Oh, it's a Jewish fraternity. Like maybe cause it's, you know, Judaism is something that I hold very dearly to myself. Um, not particularly in being like as religious as possible, but there's a lot of good, lessons and ideals in it Absolutely. I, I hold very true so when i got the text it like i was like no i'm not i don't want to do it but you know 
it's Jewish, so maybe it has a little bit of merit. Um, exactly. And so I went to, you know, I went to my, went to the rabbi at school and I was like, you know, I really don't want to do this. Like, it's not, you know, it's not David. It's, it's not David Sachs. You know, he would never do this. And the rabbi, I'd never forget this. He goes, how do you know what David Sachs would do? You only know what this limited image of yourself would do. Mm -hmm. But if you just open yourself up to these ideas and just let it sit for a second, maybe David Sachs will do something else and he'll change out of this little box bubble that you put him in. I'm like, that's a pretty good point. So off of that, I was like, okay, I'll join it and I'll just sit and I'll not do anything. So for three weeks, I didn't say a word. Yeah. Like, I, you, got to a you got a nickname. It's the same. Child, yeah, I was, right? you, uh, I was called the shadow. They call me you the don't, shadow. you don't care for a while. Right. Yeah. No, they called me the shadow. It was crazy. So I'd sit there not do anything, not say anything, like maybe crack a smile or say something like once yeah. in a while if someone directed it towards me. But and then I was appointed philanthropy chair like three weeks after the founding, mm -hmm. um, which is in like March 2017. So three years ago, which is crazy. So then I just, you know, I didn't do anything with the position, mm -hmm. the philanthropy position. I didn't really care about it. Um, but what kind of happened was then we started to do rush like we started to do recruitment and they were like okay we appointed the rush chairman and he's going to you know we're going to start looking for names and they said this in in like mid-march and i was already looking when they said it mm -hmm. and i was like i'm going to start so i went over to the president's house and i'm like let's start looking and he was like in bed with his girlfriend half naked like okay like we'll do this and i'm like can't imagine that at all. That's <laughs> like okay. So then I just ended up doing everything myself. Like there was no help. I had no committee. I had nothing. Yeah. I was just counting just out. Got really obsessed the stock market. I don't know. I just literally this happens. <laughs> so I got like super obsessed, and mm -hmm. I was like, I'm gonna find every Jewish name that I possibly can. Like, and I was even that summer. I was even sick. I had a, I had to have a surgery that summer. And it kept me in bed for about three or four weeks. But even when I was in bed, that's all I would do. So all I would do was I would text people, call people, cold call, email, Facebook message, like assault. Like these kids would be assaulted <laughs> by my messages. This only Not in a bad way. Yeah. But they would just get assaulted because I would text them and I would keep on them like just nonstop. I would make sure that they knew who I was. They would make sure that they understood that someone wanted them that they could be a part of something bigger than themselves like that was the main selling point um, to the to the kids where look you know we're a new fraternity you know you have no reason to join us we have 11 members half of them don't even show up why would you join this organization why is because you are someone like lewis yeah or someone who can create the next generation of, of kids and leaders and fraternity members that will shape what you want your college experience to be and you know a lot of the founding fathers are not fraternity guys yeah. um, but a lot of them had the vision and had the vision to see that mm -hmm. ideal of creating the next generation of leaders and that was something that really fueled me to create what this is what, what API is now at the university, 
um, obviously not a hundred man chapter, but it's infrastructure inside of it's grown like crazy. How the many leadership that that, It's at 38. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a lot. And we started at 11. So it, how many it's of those just, guys do you think you were, uh, you were the first point of contact or, I mean, every single one were you the first, not, not the first point of contact, but in just the recruitment process, you were having a well, big, Lewis, uh, that's an interesting question for you. What percentage of, um, a pie's growth and success would you attribute to David? It's a good question. I mean, the pledge class I'm a part of, I'd say, what, eight guys? Eight of eight for David Sachs. The next, <laughs> the next pledge class was the one I put together, but David was with me at, I think, every single lunch and every single phone call. He was the third man on the call for those calls. So we'll just, we'll just put him, give him 100% there. I was on co-op the next semester, but there were 10 new guys, and the rest chair David selected decided he didn't want to be in the fraternity anymore around the same time. So David basically stepped into place. Jeez, uh, that's a lot of cold calls. That's a lot of cold calls. David's a cold, cold call expert. So I'd say, I mean, I think he's at least been a point of contact, if not the primary point of contact for 60, 60 to 75% of the current brotherhood. Wow. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. And it all yeah. started with you not being interested at all. Exactly. No, exactly. And it's just, it's just kind of a testament to people. And I mean, obviously not in extreme situations, but things that might just push you a little bit out of your comfort zone, maybe that'll be the thing to, to push you over the edge. Yeah. Um, and it, it's the reason why, you know, you have these certain percentage of leaders because they're the ones who push themselves out of, out of the comfort zone and not really care about what, you know, what was and what you put your idealize yourself in, but what you want to do, which is good. So then, you know, like Lewis was saying, the the whole, you know, I, I just called every single person. Cold, I mean, yeah, that's it. The that's main in your, reason um, in your most recent article or one of them, I think it might've might been your first one. It's like, pick up the damn phone. Yeah, you, pick know, up you can the research phone. all you want, but like, you don't pick up the damn phone then you're you're not going to get to that second or third step ever no it's it's just it's just a domino effect so yeah and then and then luckily i was able to grow the class the first class to, to eight or nine but the ninth dropped out because of financial issues mm-hmm. and then you know after that rush chair class i was elected president mm-hmm. um because I I think I legitimately ran the chapter. Like the president at the time That's didn't do much. That's what we all thought. Yeah, like the I think that pledge class really thought that I was the main. Uh, I don't know, but I ran the whole thing. So then I was elected president, two terms in a row. First term was just about structuring the fraternity and making sure that we have everything in place, all the people in place, and instilling a passion in these guys to want to further it more there are a lot of guys trying to dilute your vision as well you know that was something i remember talking a lot people trying to not make the fraternity not about being jewish people trying to just go against the recommendations of nationals on how to build a successful chapter we always really firm on those those key values can you expand on that a little bit yeah i think it has to do a lot of with the principles of, of business um, i think that's where i got these ideas and visions is that you know we as uh, the fraternity the jewish fraternity that we are we are a niche mm-hmm. like we cater to a specific amount of a specific person a specific group of people 
And if you're the leader in your niche, in your niche of, of, of companies or, or organizations, you're going to be the most successful because you have to be able to understand your audience and cater to them properly. So that's the one thing that I wanted to instill is that we, you know, we have a niche. And at the time we didn't have anything. And so when people came to me like, David, we need to be like these other guys. We need, I'm like, if we wanted to be like these other guys, no one would join us because they would join the other guys. Exactly. Right? Yeah. That would mean that we have nothing differentiating ourselves from the other guys. As where the vision that I had in place would differentiate, differentiate us completely from the other guys because we focused on everything, but in different ways. Um, emphasize them in different manners and we created different relationships with different people to make sure that the fraternity was different i mean that's the that's the word of the day i guess yeah that's great so you did the uh, two terms as president you had an ordinary amount of stress but at some point over the summer after your first term you think okay i've got this thing figured out pretty much i'm gonna start something else yeah so this was the 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 second the second term in the summer about halfway through um, yeah about halfway through I was actually what year is this what what time is this 2019 in summer. July okay. June so July July okay yeah and so I you know I was actually interning with Merrill Lynch at the time and I was very interested in I, I don't know I just thought that I have a a, a little bit of cash. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of interest in doing something that's not, you know, I had seen the corporate life. I interned at another financial advisor industry. You've been taking a lot of entrepreneurship classes at the school. Yeah, a lot of entrepreneurship classes. And just, I've been toying with the idea for, for like a number of years. Not particularly a food truck or anything, but just some sort of business, even something that I can, you know, create and just do for my desk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, okay, I have a little bit of money. Let me look into businesses that I can um, create and, and, and start. So I looked into it and I was like, this is, um, you know, Alabama, University of Alabama just created a new food truck program. I've seen other food trucks around, but didn't really, you know, it didn't really strike me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, let me start doing some investigating. And so I did a business plan researched the industry and and did a lot of calls to the people at university of alabama to see what type of what the economics were for trucks making money on campus and and it was crazy like if you knew what you were doing and you knew how to crank it and you knew what your niche was and you knew how to target them we could you know we could be really successful so i was like you know what screw it the only thing i can lose is money yeah um, and it's not the you most precious thing back, in the world you know? yeah did you, so, did you follow the same trend with the truck were you at any point uh, uninterested in it no i think from the start i was very obsessed yeah i, I was gonna i was gonna go for it i think i think a big difference here is this is something that you presented to yourself right uh the things were kind of brought to you you're in class they're saying oh there's this game you're in college and some Facebook messages you, oh, we're going to start this thing. What are your thoughts? But this is kind of one of the first examples, at least that we've talked about, that has kind of come from within. You're like, I got a little bit of free time. I got a little bit of money. 
really interested in these things. I'm going to pick my own project. I'm going to run with it. Let's see what I can do. And I think that's a big Yeah, no, absolutely. That's true. And it's just, it was just, you know, it was frustrating at the start because, you know, we created the business plan. I got everything, you know, I created everything, the graphic for the truck to be wrapped, you know, and then, so I ended, I found a truck on Craigslist actually and got it for a staggeringly low price. Like I still can't believe that I got this truck for that low price, you know, cause most food trucks were, they go for about 50, 60, 70 grand, 80 grand if they like, even up to a hundred grand if they get souped up. We got it for like 80% discount, 90% discount. Wow. Just something about news and deals, you know. (laughs) I guess so. I guess so. Well, you know, the guy listed it, he listed it, you know, probably 10 or 15% premium. 10 seconds before I messaged him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he, 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 he put it up. And it hadn't been sold for months. Like it wasn't really people didn't sell. I was like, why? Something's wrong with this thing. Mm-hmm. So I looked at it. Um, it didn't really have, it, it was kind of bare, but it did have a fridge, a freezer and a deli cooler, which is okay. like pivotal to a bagel truck. Um, and so I was like, okay, well maybe there's something wrong with the inside. So we, I, I had a mechanic, this old guy, mechanic come down like, and he, I was like, I need you to do an inspection for me, you know, DOT inspection, get it all looked at and make sure that this is the right truck. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. You know, what you, what you ask. And so he's like, okay, it looks pretty good. Let's take it for a ride. So he took it for a ride and actually one of the break, I think, the, I can't remember what was wrong with it, but one of the brake calipers was like sticking okay. and it was because one of the, the pipes, for the um, brake fluid was busted. It was old. So we we actually took it for a ride and it started to smell. There was a big, big smell of of the from the brake, just from the left brake. Uh, and we took it and it actually wouldn't, you know, if you put a, a car in neutral, it's supposed to roll. It didn't roll. Um, so the brake was very sticky and there was no fluid in it. So I was like, look, I ain't buying this truck unless you, A, we're going to discount that price heavy mm-hmm. and B, heavy. you're going to pay for all the repairs. Wow. I goes, no, I'm not going to do it. I go, okay, I'm going to go in the driveway. I'm a willing buyer. I've checked in my pocket. You let me know when you want to sell this truck to me. Cause I know you know, this, this truck's been on the market for months. Yep. You know, he promised the guy laid his, his cards out too much. Mm-hmm. He thought I was a nice guy. He had no leverage. No, he was like, you know, the truck, you know, I, I, this is a dead weight to me. Like I have a new career. It's whatever, whatever. Like I can't work this hard. And I go, look, I know you can't work this hard. I'm willing <laughs> to work. You know, I'm a young kid. I'm going to go take us to university. It's going to be operating 12 hours a day. Like, and I have the money. The check's in my pocket. I can show it to you. You can look and save her. But I'm going to drive away unless you do all that stuff. And the guy goes, fine. I go, all right. See you, see you on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, my God. Always find a way, right? Always, Always find, find a way. So, you know, he got it fixed, bought the truck, got it wrapped. Beautiful wrap job. Yeah. And it was, 
it was uh, a way and, and actually it was very frustrating just to start it because we had to get all this clearance through the, like yeah that was department. one of my questions was how did the political climate of tuscaloosa like affect the opening and and how much how much red tape did you have to cut and how how long did that take so luckily you know because i've been in the restaurant industry i knew the ways around it not in not in the sense of you know loop cutting corners but yeah you just you're not cutting corners yeah but i knew what to do in order to speed the process along mm-hmm. so i did a lot of that but the only problem was that i think this is probably in most states but especially in alabama mobile units the 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 verbiage and language in the laws on mobile units are from 2006 okay interesting. so it's very antiquated outdated like all this stuff so um I had to submit a sketch of the truck outline, like where everything is, mm-hmm. menu items, other stuff that just was like kind of stupid in my you know book, sure. but stuff that didn't really have to do a lot with it. And it took them 30 days to review it, a month, mm-hmm. to review something that they could have done probably in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, a lady from the health department had to come out and inspect the truck and see if there, the lady had came out four times. Every single time she came out, she found a new issue that wasn't presented to me before. So, so it was really, really fun. Yeah. And, and, and she wouldn't answer her emails and she would only answer like once a week. Oh my God. And I was like, tried to call her and she was never in her office. And I'm like, Dude, I'm never going to be able to get this done. Yeah. This was August. Like, I started this. <laughs> so, is this all in 30 the... days? Oh, this no, is no, no. So, you have the 30 days that you have to wait, and then you've got this lady coming in these yeah, four so, separate times, seemingly eight weeks or something like that. Yeah, and so, like, even with, like, so July is when we bought the truck and got it wrapped. Mm-hmm. And even with the wrap job, like, the wrap job is great. It looks beautiful, but there are some parts that are peeling up. And I tried to call the company again to try and get them to come and fix it. And they just wouldn't answer my phone, my phone call. They knew my number and they wouldn't answer my phone call. And the guy wouldn't respond to my email. So it's like this whole bureaucracy thing. I don't know what it is that they like, they just like, I'm going to sell it and not pay attention anymore. Yeah. And then when it came to the health department, this lady kept finding issues and what like, it was so frustrating. This was July, August into September. And before we even got yeah, school was yeah, school started. So my idea, I mean, I guess it's like wishful thinking on my part, but I wanted to be ready just before parents' weekend mm-hmm. in order to get everything started so that the parents could come and, 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 and buy food and get it from get it for their kids. So it's kinda of like a emotional bond yeah, to the food, I guess. It's more, um, but that didn't happened because people had other ideas and so we only so then once we got the the health permit issued then we had to send all that information to the university and so it was kind of like a step-by-step process that took so long like months and so it we we our first day was october 8th wow okay and after all of that not bleeding cash that whole time too not really not at all yeah not much Um, fixed cost we put we put up you know i put up a certain amount of money and yeah got a credit card for other expenses mm-hmm. um, from the bank but you know it wasn't anything we were we were bleeding cash the whole time mm-hmm. and so parking lot mostly 
Yeah, no, it, I mean, and, and we had an agreement with all of our vendors and, you know, where we our commissary that we weren't going to start paying until we actually started operating. And yeah, a lot of the people, you know, luckily because of my age, people believed a little bit more and they're like, oh, you know, I was a kid once. Like, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll list, I'll, I'll, you know, take it easy on you. I'm like, okay, thank yeah. you. Because they want, they wanted me to succeed, which is nice. I love it. Um, so we got started and the, so a few days before, I think it was like two or three weeks before I decided that I wanted to create a little bit of buzz, you know, social media buzz. And what I did was I was like, okay, I will start a Instagram mm -hmm. and I'll do a, one of those like liking comment three people mm -hmm. type of things. Cause that's kind of like the growth, triangular gift card or something like some that. Growth hacking, you know? some yeah. Hacking. Growth hacking. Yeah. Um, and so what we did was um, we said, okay, like this picture and tag three people in your, in this post mm -hmm. and you'll be entered to win a free dozen bagels for a month. Okay. So they would get, you know, four dozen bagels over four weeks, you know, once, once a week, they would be able to come and pick okay. it up. And that was, we were like, yeah, the, good. the contest ends on September 30th. Good luck. And so it ended on September 30th. We had like 500 likes and 300 comments. It's pretty solid for a business that's not even open. We we had like 15 followers too. It wasn't like... <laughs> Yeah, uh, and we had like a thousand or two thousand profile visits in a week, just explosion, mm -hmm. like huge explosion, and just brand recognition there. That's what you're getting. Yeah. and it actually worked. So we met, we messaged these three people that won just on a random selection, and none of them picked up their bagels. <laughs> oh my god that's funny totally like, congratulations freak. you won and they were like oh my god i'm coming tomorrow and they never came and so i messaged wow. them two more times and i just never, so that was free mark like free yeah free marketing so, so had, you've got the bagel truck that, yeah go ahead uh, sorry and then you know the culmination of the whole social media buzz creation is that on the first two days the first day we sold out of bagel that's great we so did what you want i think it was 152 sales in and this was in three hours wow so we sold out in three hours and then the next day we sold that too we did another 150 sales within four or five hours and so it was just it boom from the beginning it was huge buzz obviously that's just at this point you're still, a, you're still a president of the fraternity while else is happening yeah or? still a president still a president <laughs> still a president and owner of the food truck business and it was just it was it was busiest time of my life i was on the bagel truck from 6 a.m to 2 p.m every day mm -hmm. i get home and you're going to class right like your student yes and no um <laughs> <laughs> like i said like I said, always find a way. Yeah. Um, so I emailed my professors and a lot of them were in the business department. So I'm like, look, I created a business. I completed yeah. the business degree. You have to give me leeway. And they yeah. go, okay, we'll figure out some guidelines for you. Like, yeah, that's okay, awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. no harm in asking, right? So many of these things, it's just... You just always find a way. 
You just ask the damn question. Ask the damn question is what I say. Because there's no pick up the damn phone and ask the damn question. Exactly. People are people are gonna sit there. Ask the damn question. People are gonna sit there and accept all of the general things that are yeah. But you just gotta you just gotta make it so that they have to explain why. Because a lot of you know you go to the anywhere you go to the the DMV you go to the any store and they say no no one you know you just accept it for yeah you just accept it for what it is but you don't know why so yeah. do you how much of your success or I guess quantifiable success would you accredit to that mindset that you said in the beginning that came from your dad you know getting around no. uh I think a lot like most of it 90 percent <laughs> yeah 95 yeah. percent yeah it's just you know it, it's such a good it's such i mean you know, biased but just such a good way of thinking about doing things because it's it's a very contrarian idea to the whole you know the system is the way that the system is yeah um, so you just gotta do it like the opposite of being docile exactly it's like- no, exactly yeah I feel like we're kind of in a system that it's so rare to live that way and to ask the questions and to try to just break out of the bounds, even in just very slight ways, right? Just saying, hey, can Mm -hmm. I not pay you until I'm operating? Just very slight questions like that, nothing outrageous. And there's just such a disproportionate reward for even asking those types of things. You'll get that, you get something half as good a lot of the time. I mean, that that theme has been true through all of the stories that you've told so far. I mean, the 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 break being broken, you getting some percentage off because of it. Like, yeah, it's all there. You know? say no, yeah. but even even when it comes because you know food trucks need commissaries where to store your food, and even in that you know idea, it connected to ideas. Cold calling is something that I can do twenty four seven. If you give me your end goal, I'll get, I'll get you there. So we had to find a com. I had to find a commissary for the truck and we, I mean, know, commissary commissaries, you know, where we store, where we store the food. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. And so, you know, general idea you go, okay, I'm going to call restaurants because obviously restaurants have those industrial grade fridges and freezers and dry storage and places that can handle massive mass amounts of food. So, you know, I called all the restaurants and I'm like, you know, they're all saying, let me call my manager. Let me call my owner, you know, not really giving me any answer. And a lot of them just were just hung up on me or, you know, and I had the whole script down. It's like, Hey, you know, my name is David Sachs. I have, you know, a bagel truck that's coming to Tuscaloosa. I want to present this to you because I need a place to store my food. You know, I want to be able to provide yeah, I want to store my food in your fridges and freezers. Not only do I want to create value for myself, but I want to create value for you. So I'd be willing to put up, you know, $200, $300 a month mm-hmm. um, as a basis for storing my food there. And, you know, how does it sound to you? Can we talk a little bit more about it? And most of them were like, let me call my manager. Like, mm-hmm. probably not. Yeah. So then I started thinking, like, what is, who are, people who have industrial grade you know restaurant grade fridges and freezers dry storage and i guess doesn't really use them that much Mm -hmm. Um, and i was like bam catering places rest you know uh, event spaces Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's where i actually found my my commissary was an event space that's awesome Uh, right on the strip in tuscaloosa so 
Like, right. Perfect. Easy action. Which one was it? Or can uh, you say? It's called, you know, it's called the district room right next to industry. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, right next to Mellow Mushroom. So, like, that's – it was it was huge. It was great. And they've been really good helping us out and, you know, making sure that we have everything we need. So, even in that type of idea, you just got to think in different ways. To so, your, your daily routine most days this past semester is wake up at 5 a.m., get the truck, drive to this commissary, load it. We've got some employees. Can you, can you walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, so I, I would wake up at, you know, 5.30 or 6 a.m., depending on if I wanted a coffee in the morning or not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, get to the truck, drive to the to the commissary. That's where my, my truck is. Um, get there, load the truck with um, my other employees. Have, and we loaded the truck. I, I'll tell you the story later, but loaded the truck probably until about 7 or 7.30. It, you know, we, we got there an hour and a half to two hours beforehand for the first few Damn. weeks because we didn't really know what we were doing. And then once we started, I mean, we got it down to about 15 minutes. Um, recently, um, we got it down to about 15 minutes. So we, we, we know what we're doing and we know how to order and everything. So, um, you know, packed the truck until about 7.30 drove it to the gas station to get gas for the generator um, and then drove into campus and started operating. So from, you know, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. the, the first semester, excuse me, um, and then 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. on for this last semester, last <laughs> two and a half months. <laughs> the semester. Half the yeah. semester. So, you know, that type of idea. And, and, and I started building up a, a very good uh, base of employees the first semester, the whole first semester was just me and my girlfriend on the truck the whole time. And, and, you know, I had class sometimes, but I missed it most of the times. And, you know, sometimes it was just myself because I didn't want, you know, my girlfriend to, to, to get behind in classes. So she would go and I'd be on, on the truck by myself for like hours sometimes. And so it was like just a challenge and, you know, trying to, to get these things going while, while still trying to get employees in and you know it started to get frustrating a little bit because some people were expecting a higher pay or less hours and i'm like dude i'm doing all, all this stuff i can't ride an hour here or there mm-hmm. just couldn't do it so i created a good uh, base of employees that's carried me to to this point which i'm grateful for yeah so and now is the is the truck operating now in the midst of this? Well, I'm well, no. sorry, uh, definitely yeah. not now. But I mean, would it be? I guess. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it, if 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 we were going if back to worse, like during the summer, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of leads into not necessarily wrap up, but what's what's coming up next for you? So I guess it's very uncertain for everyone right now, just in general. But you got the truck. You're graduating this semester finishing up your degree in the job offer negotiation interviewing phase, looking like you're going to go into the financial advising space. Yes. You have this truck. you don't want to live in Tuscaloosa. What's coming up. So you want to keep the truck operating. You want to sell it. You want to find a manager. You want to move it with you. You want to keep it in Tuscaloosa, do it part-time, full-time franchise, get out. What's up? Yeah, so it's kind of challenging. I actually hired a manager in December 
I mean, I this, was, one in, this was when I was in Japan. I remember we were on the phone about it. Yeah, it, it was like November, December. Yeah, November, December. Um, yeah. He was like a 40-year-old man. Um, and he seemed really good. He was like going to culinary school and had huge, you know, restaurant experience cooking. And, you know, he, he fit the profile. But there was some crazy stories about this dude arguing with me and telling me that he's older than me, so he, he knows more. And uh, I mean, just stupid ideas that he built up in his head because he has this huge complex about me being younger than him, paying his bills. He would even say like, oh, I don't know what type of nest egg inheritance you have, but I'm like, thanks, <laughs> whatever. Get yeah. out of my truck. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, You're fired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't have to give you any of my money anymore, so you can, you can leave. And it, that didn't work out. And then I gave a... Started student. empowering employees, right? Yeah, I started empowering students because I think, I still think it, but I think if you empower the right employees mm-hmm. and not cut it down to just them earning, you know, a wage per hour, but rather having them build upon the skills that they do have and, and creating value for me and them in a sense that it's not monetary, then they'll be able to further it better mm-hmm. um, while I'm not there. But that didn't work out with the person that I chose just from, uh, I, it was just crazy. It was stupid. Yeah. They started stealing and not you know, talking trash about me in the business behind the back and it was just a bad wrong. sense but it was the wrong choice you no. know it, it wasn't it was i don't think it was a bad choice it was a very given the information at the time, right yeah, yeah. It, it was all a learning experience i mean I, I know how to hire and fire people which is a unattainable skill to most people like they'll mm-hmm. never own their own businesses and be able to a lot of people never get there own. alone at this early yeah no yeah, especially i've never done it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you want to, so let's get back kind of that question. So do you want to move the truck with you? Do you want to stay involved or you're kind of still just seeing all your options? Yeah, I think uh, right now, right now there's a lot of uncertainty because of the whole world quarantine stuff. Yeah. Um, But the idea was either to keep it there with a manager, which is more of an uncertain path look and find a partner who wants to buy into it and mm-hmm. operate it there, uh, bring it here to Atlanta and operate in Georgia tech or just sell it outright. Yeah. Um, good options. Kind of see what, see what comes available. And yeah. So I'm just kind of shopping and seeing what, if there's any interest in any one of those things. Okay. Uh, Can you sell it to your, to your like family business to Goldstein bagels and have them operate it? Yeah. They, they don't really have uh they're not they're more restaurant based and wholesale based yeah uh, so the the small you know food truck just wouldn't make sense there. yeah i understand uh, it's, yeah seems, it seems thematically similar because you sell bagels but they're too yeah different. yeah no it is thematic but in a volume sense it's just not the same i mean they're yeah. doing like it's another thing to worry about, you know, they're kind of, they're established, they're a restaurant. It's like, it's like yeah. $12 billion versus $10 million. It's just not even it's true. No, it's very true. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's go into a couple, couple quick fun questions here. Well, not, not a fun question, just one more actual curious question. How do you say 
the difference of studying entrepreneurship in an academic sense, because I know that's what you chose to focus on last couple of years in school uh, versus doing it on your own? Like what observations do you have about the differences between the academic theoretical context and just saying, hey, professor, I'm not coming to class because I'm literally running my own business right now. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, a lot of the entrepreneurship classes that people will take will tell you that entrepreneurs aren't born and everyone can be one in a very inclusive manner. I think it's true to a very slight point, Mm -hmm. but there really takes a certain person to put yourself out there and actually do it regardless of the flack and time it takes. And I mean, the one thing is anyone who's ever looked into starting any sort of business, be it an e-commerce business or an actual brick and mortar business, it takes a lot of time. and it's not just, you know, you're not going to snap and you're going to do it. And it's a process. Yeah. And it's actually not about money. Um, it's not about making millions and millions of dollars. I mean, that's a great side effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but Maybe. it's actually, Maybe. you know, entrepreneur, entrepreneurs are more about, yeah, it's all about, you know, uh, self further, furthering their own personal careers and, and mm-hmm. finding a problem and solving it. Yeah, exactly. It's all about those problems and solving. And, and, and that's the, you know, in school, they'll teach you that, you know, we have, you know, you have to find a problem and solve it. So you're going to go out these next few weeks and you're going to create a business. And it's, that's cool. It gets people thinking, but well, anybody can write it all down. Right. But it, it's, yeah. a, it's another thing to pick yeah. up the damn phone and ask the damn question. And, and, yeah. I think a lot, the basis of, you know, having them go and tell you to create a business plan and think through a lot of the things really helped me. I think mm-hmm. um, the business plan is a big one. It really gets you to think critically about your problem and if it's actually a problem mm-hmm. and if they're, if your solution is the solution. Okay. Um, That's what was your problem? My problem, because, you know, obviously going back, we're in, a, in the Jewish community mm-hmm. um, and you know, Jews and bagels go together very well. They need each other. So they need each other. So in Tuscaloosa, there were no bagels. I mean, the only ones that there were was Panera and like a small That's frozen. Con- convenience store type of thing. And those were frozen, shipped over. So, and there was none like close to campus. There was no, and I think even a, a, a bigger issue was that there's not a lot of breakfast options on campus. And so the only ones that were on campus were like the, you know, the, the fur, like the student center, Chick-fil-A and like, how how can you, how many times can you have a fried chicken biscuit every morning? Every day, I don't know. But I, you know, if you attribute bagels and bread products, those are products that you can have every single day. Mm-hmm. Whereas fried chicken, you can't particular. I mean, you can. If, you know, we're in the yeah, south. Yeah, you're just gonna die. Like <laughs> we're in the south, but but you know, breakfast products mm-hmm. like bagels. Well, you'll get people every single day as well. A secondary factor is Tuscaloosa, Alabama, has a a very high percentage of Northerners mm-hmm. that come yeah. to yeah. school. So it made a lot of sense. There were a lot of pieces that connected in order to make sure that an actual New York bagel like mm-hmm. we have would be accepted. Cause that was the one biggest thing. I was very scared of the education portion of, of the business. 
every business undergoes it because they have a unique problem or a unique solution that people haven't really seen before. So it might need to be demonstrated. So bagels aren't something that people really think of in a general sense as things that need to be, you know, fixed. Um, mm-hmm. But you go to a grocery store bagel and you try our bagel, they're like two Fine. different animals. So that's like the whole, that was the whole idea was I was scared about the, the acceptance of the product, but it turned out pretty well. I mean, they're awesome. pretty, pretty good stuff. What's your, uh, what's your favorite thing on the, on the menu or what do you order from your own store? I'm like plain Jane, bagel and cream cheese, sesame bagel, toasted cream cheese mm-hmm. early in the morning, right before any customer gets there. Okay. Um, what's the uh, most best seller? Best seller that, you know, bagel and spread, but we have a bacon, egg and cheese. People love that. That was a great, great addition. Avocado toast bagel. Is a really good one. We put sea that. salt flakes. The sea salt, that, that, and the red, the red pepper. Red pepper flakes, yeah. It's, yeah, that's a difference maker. Also, so, um, a final note: the biggest seller that I didn't expect was the lox bagel. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't expect people to actually eat it, but they ate the they ate it pretty, pretty consistently. What is that lox bagel? Smoked it's salmon. A smoked salmon, yeah. See, education mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> yeah, Jewish communities know all about bagel and locks, but bringing that now yeah. was a bold move, but did well. Yeah, it did. Kyle, did you have anything you want to ask? I got a couple lined up, but they're not anything. Well, I was just going to say we got about nine minutes left, so we want to get into oh. the, the bonus round questions or yeah, just like some, some fire round stuff. Let's do that. So, good. you want to start with a question or you want me to? I'll go one lined up. If I'll, you I'll go for it. I'll go for, for it. it. So, what movies or books have impacted your life and changed the way that you think? Wolf of Wall Street's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a glamorous yeah. depiction of everything. <laughs> but I That's think it, it really, you know, out with that too. pushed me a little bit. Not in the sense of all the vulgarity, but uh-huh. yeah. the actual stuff. The boring stuff was all the, the, <laughs> the interesting stuff. stuff right? That funny. was boring. The interesting stuff is when he was talking about, you know, doing all the IPOs and everything. Uh-huh. Um, Different books. I, I I read Flash Boys. Okay. Um, in like high school by Michael Lewis, I think. Yeah. That was good. It it was talked about the dark pools and micro trades going on with the big firms. So that was like a big book for me to read at the time because it incited a lot of curiosity um, mm-hmm. in the markets. And then you know now I'm starting to read stuff like I, I read the forty forty eight laws of power. Robert, Robert Green. Green. Yeah, that's a pretty cliche mm. one. Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell is what I'm starting now. Okay. Uh, so those are some good ones. Some good, some good awesome. answers. I was going to ask, uh, what are you going to do during quarantine to come out better than ever? So a lot of time on your hands. So Yeah, I have a lot of time. I think I've been thinking kind of critically about financial advising because mm-hmm. that's pretty much what I think I'm going to do. And I think there's different ways to market it because you as a financial advisor um, have to be, again, differentiated in a different way. Like you are your own business in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of pretty, it's pretty entrepreneurial if you put it um, a certain way. So what I wanted to do was create some sort of website newsletter, Mm -hmm. um, talk about my thoughts about the market, 
maybe even you know show some companies that might have some momentum in the coming months or years create that behind you know a paywall so it creates value for me and for the for the for the subscriber and then you know send out monthly email newsletters and keep up with a weekly or bi-weekly blog that people will tune into and show kind of a portfolio of stocks that I like that and that I think are, yeah, that are going to do pretty well in the next few weeks and why. And yeah. so in a critical sense, you know, the, 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 my clients, prospective clients, I guess, will be looking into my uh, blog that they don't have to communicate with me, you know, every single day, but they'll know what my thoughts are. Yeah, that's great. Um, so it's like connecting kind of two parts where I don't have to sit on the phone for three hours telling them my mm-hmm. thoughts because they can go and read it on the internet. And then, you know, we can, it, it's kind of a, 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 a evolving way of communicating with your clients and marketing yourself, but you know, mm-hmm. getting your name and having a little bit of a track record. I think that's You're trying to think critically about how to level yourself up in, in the world of being a financial advisor and what you can do different to, to differentiate yourself. Because you know, a lot of yeah. people probably will listen to this and think this guy's not going to just sit in a corner office at Bank of America and like a, yeah. a branch off the main road <laughs> town and just coming in and asking basic questions. You, oh, yeah. That's not going to be enough to keep you busy if you're president of a fraternity and wanting to start something else on the side and even keeping other side hobbies along the way. So that's that's great trying to find yeah, a way. I, to- predict, I predict that you won't be a financial advisor forever. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my prediction. Maybe we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll keep it tabbed. Yeah, keep it tabbed. What are some old people things that you do? I found this on a blog earlier. It's a funny question. What are some old? What are the? I think the better question is, what are some young people things that I do? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know we have uh, a semi-regular racquetball we play. That's pretty. Uh, play racquetball. Old people. Yeah. Uh, play golf. Up until about a few weeks ago, I actually read the physical newspaper. I got it sent to me every day. That's, um, that's pretty funny. What did you used to think was cool that you now don't think is cool? Flat bill hats. Okay. I used to love flat. Oh, no, fedoras. <laughs> fedoras. <laughs> I used to yeah. love fedoras. Wowza. Been there for sure. Yikes. Yikes, bro. Yikes. Uh, How do you like your coffee? Cream and sugar. Yikes. Not the right answer. Well, okay, no. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm certain you're going to say black. I, I can't believe it. Yeah. No, we, my, my, my family's from South Africa, so we used to, we always drink hot tea and hot tea, uh-huh. milk, and sugar. So it's kind of just a transfer. So uh, you're from, from South Africa, right? My whole family. Whole family. Oh, okay, okay. I'm the only one who's not from South Africa in my family. So at the end of each of these podcasts, I want to have a little conversation with our guests about the coronavirus and the societal, economic impacts of it, and as well as, you know, gauge their fear level on, on getting and, and whether or not they actually know anybody with the virus. So I guess my, my first question to you is three weeks ago, a month ago, what did you think of the virus? Where, where, where was your mind with it? I didn't really know much about the virus. I just thought it was, you know, the flu from what people were making it sound like, it just sounded like the flu. So didn't really understand what was actually happening, but you know, I, I thought the fear was warranted, but maybe a little bit out of context because we didn't have all the facts about it. But 
now looking at it, it's like insane. It's like, it's like the most incredible pandemic that we'll ever see in our lifetime. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't get worse. Hopefully it doesn't get worse than this. Yeah, I mean the the, the actions that people that have been taken so far are are unprecedented. You know, I I was talking last night to my dad. He's like fifty five years old, and I was like. When was the last time they, you know, shut down the schools? Never, immediately. Is the answer. <laughs> Never, you know? lifetime. Yeah, and nobody that's alive right now has seen has seen this level of reaction by the government. And I think that, you know, I think that plays into the fear that is so palpable today. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting time to be alive, though. Yeah. I guess you're you're more qualified to talk about the economics of it, though. So, what do you think in America with a negative or a thirty percent unemployment rate looks like? Like, I don't even understand. Let me interject yeah. a little bit of context, real quick. So, we're recording this Sunday, March twenty second. Yeah. So, good, market good drop from it was twenty nine thousand. What February eighteenth? February eighteenth through twentieth range was about twenty nine thousand. Unemployment was at historic lows, if I'm 3.4%, something like that. Uh, now, there's projected unemployment rates going way up, and the market's at about 20, is the Dow. So that's current state of things as of now. We've got projections that there's going to be 20%, 30% unemployment rate. Uh, huge. Maybe half, I, heard, I saw a projection that people are thinking it's going to be half of the GDP this next quarter. Oh, my goodness. Which, I mean, <laughs> that's insane. Like, <laughs> I mean, these things are, you can't even think about them. Or you can, exactly. but there's no comparisons. So this. Yeah, I, I, think, <clears throat> I think if you look at the markets right now from a, a you know, market standpoint, so if you look at a stock like, you know, Delta or one of the very, one of the companies or stocks that's very intertwined in all of the market chaos and turmoil, you know, these companies have dropped. I think, you know, Delta was trading at $60 a share, you know, a few weeks ago. And now it's at 20, I think it's 21. I checked the other, like this morning. It's at $21 a share. That's ridiculous. Five, 80%. It's 60%. Yeah. And so the, the so people are like oh you know this is the bottom the, it's not the bottom the problem is that you have these companies and the whole market in, in, in general is dropping due due to fear just fear on its on its own basis but then you to come out or is it also due to th- these companies are affected like well these companies are affected money. the only problem is the reason why I say it's fear is because there aren't any quantifiable earnings numbers. Okay. That are being broadcasted and are being yeah. actually documented. These are all speculative. Like we know these companies are going to drop. We know that they're not going to make a lot of money. We don't know how much. We don't know what that 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 impact actually is. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I say it's all out of fear is because there's no, you know, quantifiable data. Yeah. To- what it actually is. So you see these companies dropping 60, 70, 80% of their actual market value, you know, in the last few weeks. And that's off of just plain fear. And then now once these earnings numbers come out, when will that happen? It, it's, it's happening over the next, you know, four or five weeks. Okay. There's no, I mean, this week, the only notable ones like Lululemon, 
which will be interesting because they're very um, structured into the whole brick and mortar thing, and they've closed their stores last. You know, I think last week they just closed all their stores in much a luxury um, North America and Europe. So it's it'll be an interesting start to their earnings season. But once we start to see the actual data coming in this week, we're seeing the unemployment data coming out for jobless claims um, and the key economic indicator, which is, it sounds very vague, but that's what it is. (laughs) There's no like other thing behind it, but those things are coming up this week too. And then you have other numbers coming out um, in in the next week about actual unemployment rates and everything like that. And, 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 and once we have these numbers that are actually able to be quantified and understood in our brains, then you'll see these companies. I, I predict this, I mean, this might age poorly, but I think there's going to be at least one or two huge companies that are going to go bankrupt. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think people are, are using the, the word bailout mm-hmm. in a kind of a, the, the, out of context. You know, these were, the stimulus that they're handing out isn't going to be free money. It's it's like in, in 2008, they did <clears throat> thinking about free money and this uh, for uh, using in a way like quantify with uh, 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 QE, like um, yeah, quantitative easing, quantitative easing. Yeah, was, lost the word. Uh, but now the government's giving out um, collateralized loans mm-hmm. at a lower zero interest rate. Which I think is a lot better. It it gives these companies a lifelines without without hitting the taxpayer as much. Because they have to pay it back, right? Yeah, yeah, they have to pay it back and it's collateralized with, you know, things within the company, be it planes or or the logo or something. Mm -hmm. Um and so you look, you know, I mean, what they're doing is good, but we have these these stay at home orders and and different things. And I mean the growth rate of it is like unprecedented in america it's i i think we're going to be the large like the most infected country really um uh, yeah easily um, if you look at the numbers and then you have potentially the flare-up of it you know i i think you should just write off 2020 2020 is gonna be a terrible year because the, the, the if you think about the cure and the vaccine is going to take a year to actually be uh. developed and then you have the changing of seasons and changing of, you know, different environments and conditions within the market and just everyday life. And you have a whole mixture of things that, you know, if people can't travel oh, for three, four, five, six, seven months, maybe even up to a year, mm-hmm. what, what's going to happen to that industry? There's going to be a emerging whole bunch markets, of, like, yeah, yeah, emerging markets are going to get screwed because they don't have enough economic resources to actually bring in a lot of these testing kits mm-hmm. and you know once they were emerging com- i mean you know countries like uh, brazil india i mean these guys have all these big things and, and, and you know not not even you know anything big like like with greece and their loans and it's all over health so it puts things in perspective certainly well, David, thank you so much for the interview. I think we've thanks, all man. It's been awesome. enjoyed it. Yeah, Hope thanks you. for having me. People should, maybe we'll have you on in a couple months if something else crazy happens. And I mean, who knows? Yeah, sure. David, it was good to meet you. All right, see you guys.
Well, that wraps up our first interview with David Sachs. It was an awesome conversation. We really learned a lot from his experiences building the fraternity, starting the food truck, all of the different stock experience he has. I think this is off to a great start. And if you want to support us, which we would appreciate, please go ahead and follow us on social media. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Lewis Kyle Show, or you can find us on Facebook by searching for The Lewis and Kyle Show. Please leave a rating or review on iTunes if you like the show and share it with a friend to help us get more listeners. Thank you so much, and we'll see you a couple days with the next one.